21st Lesson If Ye Abide in Me If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. John 15, 7 In God's communication with us, the promise and its conditions are inseparable. If we fulfill the conditions, He fulfills the promise. What He is to us depends upon what we are to Him. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. James 4, 8 So, in prayer, the unlimited promise, Ask what ye will, has its one simple and natural condition, If ye abide in me. The Father always hears Christ. God is in Christ and can only be reached by those in Him. To be in Him is the way to have our prayer heard. Abiding in Him, we have the right to ask whatsoever we will with the promise that it will be done unto us. When we compare this promise with the experience of most believers, we are startled by a terrible discrepancy. Who can count the number of prayers that rise and bring no answer? The reason must be either that we do not fulfill the condition, or God does not fulfill the promise. Believers are not willing to admit either, and therefore have devised a way of escape from a dilemma. They put into the promise the qualifying clause that our Saviour did not put there, if it be God's will. In this way they maintain both God's integrity and their own. Oh, if they could only accept it and hold it fast as it stands, trusting Christ to prove His truth! If only they could confess their failure in fulfilling the needed condition as one sufficient explanation for unanswered prayer! God's Spirit could then lead them to see how appropriate such a promise is to those who abide in Christ and believe He means it. The Holy Spirit could then make our weakness in prayer one of the mightiest motives for us to discover the secret and obtain the blessing of fully abiding in Christ. If ye abide in me. As a Christian grows in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, he is often surprised to find how the words of God grow in the new and deeper meaning with which they come to him. He can look back to the day when some word of God was opened up to him, and he rejoiced in the blessing he found in it. After a time, some deeper experience gave it a new meaning, and it was as if he had never seen what it contained. And yet, as he advanced in the Christian life, the same word stood before him again as a great mystery, until the Holy Spirit led him still deeper into its divine fullness. One of these ever-growing, never-exhausted words, opening up to us step by step the fullness of the divine life, is the Master's precious, Abide in Me. As the union of the branch with the vine is one of growth, never-ceasing growth with increase, so our abiding in Christ is a life process in which the divine life takes fuller and more complete possession of us. The young and weak believer may be abiding in Christ to a limited extent, but if he reaches onward to attain what the Master desired with full abiding, he will inherit all the promises connected with it. In the growing life of abiding in Christ, the first stage is that of faith. As the believer sees that with his weakness the command is really meant for him, his great aim is simply to believe that abiding in Christ is his immediate duty, and a blessing within his reach. 
he is especially occupied with the love and power and faithfulness of the Saviour. He feels his one need is to believe. Before long, however, he sees that something more is needed. Obedience and faith must go together. Not as though he must add obedience to faith, but faith must be made manifest in obedience. Faith is obedience at home and looking to the Master. Obedience is faith going out to do His will. He realizes he has been more occupied with the privilege and the blessings of this abiding than with its duties and its fruit. He has not noticed or tolerated much of self and of self-will. The peace that he could enjoy in believing goes from him. It is in practical obedience that the abiding must be maintained. Scripture, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. John 15:10. As before, his great aim was through the mind, and the truth allowed the heart to rest on Christ and His promises. Now in this stage his chief effort is to get his will united with the will of his Lord, so the heart and the life can be entirely under his rule. And yet something seems lacking. The will and the heart are on Christ's side. Man obeys and loves his Lord. But why does the fleshly nature still have so much power? Why aren't the spontaneous motions and emotions of the inmost being what they should be? Why is there not much positive commission to condemn? Why is so much omitted of that beauty of holiness, zeal of love, and conformity to Jesus and His death? There must surely be something in our abiding in Christ and Christ in us that the believer has not yet experienced. Faith and obedience are just the pathway of blessing. Before giving us the parable of the vine and the branches, Jesus had distinctly told us what the full blessing is. Three times over he had said, If ye love me, keep my commandments, and spoke of the threefold blessing with which he would crown such obedient love. The Holy Spirit would come from the Father, the Son would manifest himself, the Father and the Son would come and make their abode. As our faith grows into obedience, and in obedience and love our whole being goes out and clings to Christ, our inner life opens up. The capacity to receive the life and spirit of the glorified Jesus is formed within us as a distinct and conscious union with Christ and with the Father. We shall see the fulfillment of His promise, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. John 14:20 As Christ is in God and God in Christ not only in will and in love but also in identity of nature and life they exist in each other so we understand we are in Christ and Christ is in us in union not only of will and love but of life and nature too After Jesus had spoken of our knowing that he is in the Father and we are in him and he in us he said, Abide in me, and I in you. As you abide in me, I also abide in you, even as I abide in the Father, so that your life is mine, and mine is yours. This is the true abiding, the occupying of the position in which Christ can come and abide. So, by abiding in Him, the soul has come away from self to find that He has become our life. Like little children who have no cares, 
we find happiness in trusting and obeying the love that has done all for us. To those who abide, the promise comes as their rightful heritage. Ask whatsoever ye will. It cannot be any other way. Christ has full possession of them. Christ dwells in their love, their will, and their life. Not only has their will been given up, but Christ has also entered and dwells and breathes in it by His Spirit. He whom the Father always hears prays in them. They pray in Him, and what they ask shall be done unto them. Beloved believer, let us confess that it is because we do not abide in Christ as He would have us to, that the church is so impotent in the presence of infidelity and worldliness and heathendom where the Lord is able to make her more than conqueror. Let us believe that He means what He promises, and accept the condemnation that confession implies. But let us not be discouraged. The abiding of the branch in the vine is a life of eternal growth. The abiding, as the Master meant it, is within our reach, for He lives to give it to us. Let us be ready to count all things loss, and say, Not as though I had already attained it, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if I may lay hold of that for which I have also been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.12. Let us not be so preoccupied with the abiding as with Him to whom the abiding links us and His fullness. Let it be Him, the whole Christ, in His obedience and humiliation, in His exaltation and power, in whom our soul moves and acts. He Himself will fulfill His promise in us. And then, as we abide and grow into the full abiding, let us exercise our right, the will to enter into all of God's will. Obeying what that will commands, let us claim what it promises. Let us yield to the teaching of the Holy Spirit to show each of us, according to His growth and measure, what the will of God is that we claim in prayer. And let us rest content with nothing less than the personal experience of what Jesus gave when He said, If ye abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Beloved Lord, teach me to take this promise in all its simplicity, and be sure that the only measure of your holy giving is our holy willing. Lord, let each word of this promise be quick and powerful in my soul. You say, Abide in me. O oh, my master, my life, my all, I do abide in you. Let me grow up into all your fullness. You living in me as in the Father is all that can satisfy me, not the effort of faith that seeks to cling to you, the rest of faith that trusts you to keep me, or the obedience of the will that keeps the commandments. It is you, my Lord, no longer before me and above me, but one with me and abiding in me that I need and I seek. I trust you for this. You say, Ask what ye will. Lord, I know that the life of full and deep abiding will renew, sanctify, and strengthen my will, that I shall have the light and the liberty to ask great things. Lord, let my will that is dead in your death and living in your life be bold and large in its petitions. You say, It shall be done. O oh, you who are the Amen, the faithful and true witness, give me the joyous confidence that you will make this word more wonderfully true to me than ever, 
because it has not entered into the heart of man to conceive what God has prepared for them that love Him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Amen. Note. On a thoughtful comparison of what we mostly find in books or sermons on prayer with the teaching of the Master, we shall find one great difference. The importance assigned to the answer to prayer is by no means the same. In the former, we find a great deal on the blessing of prayer as a spiritual exercise, even if there is no answer, and the reasons why we should be content without an answer. In that view, God's fellowship should be more to us than the gift we ask. Only His wisdom knows what is best, and He may give something better than what He withholds. Though this teaching looks very high and spiritual, it is remarkable that we don't find it in the Word. The more carefully we gather all He said about prayer, the clearer it becomes that He wanted us to think of prayer simply as the means to an end. The answer was to be proof that we and our prayer are acceptable to the Father in heaven. It is not that Christ wants us to consider the gifts of higher value than the fellowship and favor of the Father, by no means, but the Father means the answer is the token of His favor and the reality of our fellowship with Him. As Joab said in 2 Samuel 14.22, Today thy slave knows that I have found grace in thy sight, my Lord, O King, in that the King has fulfilled the word of his slave. A life marked by daily answer to prayer is the proof of our spiritual maturity. We have then attained to the true abiding in Christ, and our will is truly at one with God's will. Our faith has grown strong to see and take what God has prepared for us. The name of Christ and His nature have taken full possession of us, and we have been found fit to be among those whom God admits to His counsels and according to whose prayer He rules the world. These are the ones whose original dignity has been restored, and as they abide in Christ, the glory of His name is shown. Prayer is very blessed, and the answer is more blessed, as the response from the Father that our prayer, our faith, and our will are indeed as He would want them to be. My desire with these remarks is to lead my listeners to put together all that Christ has said on prayer and yield themselves to the full impression of the truth that when prayer is what it should be, or rather, when we are what we should be, abiding in Christ, the answer must be expected. It will bring us out from that refuge where we have comforted ourselves with unanswered prayer. We will discover the place of power Christ has appointed for His church, where it occupies so little. It will reveal the terrible weakness of our spiritual life as the cause of our not knowing enough to pray boldly in Christ's name. It will urge us to rise to a life in the full union with Christ and in the fullness of the Spirit as the secret of effectual prayer. And it will lead us on to realize our destiny. In that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be fulfilled. John 16, 23-24. Prayer that is spiritually in union with Jesus is always answered.